right, we're gonna call you the squirrel nut zippers <laughs> what's a zipper <laughs> that's a good point that's truly onomatopoeia you couldn't have a zipper in a fantasy setting could you although you know they were invented before the button yeah but button's not onomatopoeia so button could mean anything yeah forget it Live from the Mundangerous Temp Agency in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 88 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to manage minions, summon creatures, hirelings, friends, and allies. But first, the rogue traders lose their minds in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the one-man band makes terrible music in the Character Creation Forge. So we've got another Unearthed Arcana to discuss. Sort of, right? We got like half an Unearthed Arcana. Yeah. Uh, so they, they've released two more wizard subtypes. Right. Although we've seen the first one before, the uh, Theurge. And we've actually reviewed that before. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't even check what the changes were. I just noticed that it has the exact same extremely dumb problem, which is that you get the Cleric's... 17th level power of your domain at 14th level so you're a better cleric than the cleric yeah this is something we talk about with all kinds of homebrew which is don't step on the toes of other classes don't take their iconic thing the wizard shouldn't be better at being a cleric than the cleric is at being a cleric yeah i I understand that it's just where those top level abilities map out in the class structure but to me find another class ability all right but then there's also the war magic tradition which i think looks pretty cool yeah it's it's a little weird to me so i think it's it's cool in principle right so it it's meant to blend evoker and abjurer mm-hmm. um in a way that you know the the war mage would be sent out with like a a company of soldiers to defend them on the front lines and then harass their enemies all right so at second level you get arcane deflection which is a bit like the rogue's uncanny dodge ability. Uh, as a reaction, you can increase your AC by two or get a plus four bonus to a constitution saving throw. You can do that at will, uh, but when you do it, you can't use a spell besides a cantrip until the end of your next turn. So you're sort of giving up a bit of offensive power for some defense. Yeah. I think this is a great ability. Yeah, I think it's cool. I don't think it's going to be that useful for the AC bonus. Like, I don't know how often two AC helps you. I mean, remember, you're only going to use it when it when it helps. When it does, right? Yeah. yeah. I I mean, and you still have the shield spell, right? Right. Um. So that's good. And then this actually starts triggering other abilities uh, later on. Um. But you also get to add your intelligence to your uh, initiative, which is always good. Uh, power surge at sixth level lets you add two damage dice to a spell's damage uh, once per short rest, though. So. I don't know. It it seems a little underwhelming for a sixth level ability, which is kind of the a sort of iconic tier. I would like it to use a spell slot to power it. Oh, okay. Like some other UA that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if it scaled like Channel Divinity, right? Like at sixth level, once. At, you know, 14th level, twice. Oh, 18th yeah, level, three times. Yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. Then at 10th level, uh, you get Durable Magic, which gives you a bonus to AC and saving throws while you're maintaining concentration. I think that's a pretty cool mechanic. 
because often you're looking for spells that don't require concentration. Mm -hmm. And in game, like it does make sense. Like I can think often you see in fiction, like characters who are propping up a defense, right, by sheer force of will. But then once it breaks, like so do other things. Yep. Yep. You know, I broke your concentration, and ha! Now you have a minus two to AC and saving throws. Yeah, I also like that this comes at such a high level, so it's not going to be like an automatic dip yeah. for other classes. Guidance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then at 14th level, you get Deflecting Shroud, which I think is a really cool idea. Uh, so when you use your Arcane Deflection, um, which is the uh, reaction ability you get at 2nd level, um, it does magical damage to creatures of your choice within 10 feet of you. Uh, equal to half your level so seven damage at 14th level when you get it up to 10 at level 20 right at those levels this is not a lot of damage no it's not and also a 10 foot range is awful yeah it's pointlessly awful like you shouldn't be a frontliner as a wizard right (laughs) so it's this creates this weird character between durable magic at 10th level and then deflecting shroud where to maximize the benefits of all of your defensive abilities you really need to be up close so you're being targeted but you don't really have any reason to get up close because you're still a wizard yeah they are worst case scenario abilities where oh no i ended up in melee uh now i guess this will help me like not completely die right but you shouldn't have ended up there in the first place yeah so I would like Deflecting Shroud to be a more offensive ability. Like, maybe just expand the range. Yeah, I mean, at this point, all you can really do with it, which looks cool in-game, is, like, you're surrounded by a lot of low-level or dying creatures. Someone attacks you, and you just sort of, like, swat it away, and everyone around you dies. Right. There's also a a weird wording in the Arcane Deflection um, that requires you to be hit by an attack or fail a save. That trigger really limits it uh, in the effectiveness of deflecting shroud. You know, like if I could use my reaction when I'm targeted to increase my AC or saving throw, and I have the option to do that after the hit, um, then I could use it offensively, right? Attack me, and I will I will damage you even if you miss, right? Then it becomes a really interesting ability, and it's well balanced. But because you have to be hit, uh, and then you have to trigger the the ability. It's like, oh man, this is this is just too hard. So Shane, where are we now in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So, the rogue trader crew of the His Enduring Light has arrived on a distressed Imperial Navy frigate. Uh, they have investigated, checked the armory and the engineerium. Uh, they used Imperial Navy code ciphers and determined that there were saboteurs or, or at least not the Imperial Navy, uh, inside the armory. So they elected to move on to the engineerium, um, got the correct code, though they figured out they did it wrong. Um, <laughs> doors open. They find that the engineerium is powered down and, and pitch black inside. Uh, they begin searching with stab lights and glow globes and find a grotesque, a writhing mass of tortured bodies um, that have been kind of stitched and sewn together. Uh, still alive. Still living. Um, not loving it, though. What happened to Trank, Ishan? Uh Trank freaks out because this is gross. <laughs> yeah. And unpleasant. Yeah, so our your vanguard 
beats a retreat. Well, look, we did exactly the thing we said we weren't going to do, which was walk into a dark room and into a trap. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, you uh, you lose it. You immediately head for the door. Uh, the, other, the other two with you uh, also back off, and you are chased by a hail of exotic gunfire. Which Trank notices, right? Oh, what's yeah? That's, what are these bullets? Those don't sound like bolt guns. Huh. <laughs> no, keep running, keep running. <laughs> this this sound a lot like shrieking cannons. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then as you're running, uh, you know, as as your party be, and and the armsmen that have accompanied you begin laying down covering fire, uh, you start. Uh, well, I guess you get hit from above is basically what happens. Out you of get the hit darkness. from all sides. It's dark. That's true. Uh, out of the darkness, these winged creatures kind of swoop in, um, stabbing you, knocking you off your feet, poisoning you. And uh, it's bad. You know, it's like it, it, you walked right into the teeth of this trap. So Flair, your uh, navigator, a psyker, uses one of his powers to try and uh, chase them off. Which doesn't end well for him. Well, he did a good job on that Xenos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, as soon as he uses a psychic power and, and calls forth the warp, uh, the Xenos kind of flip out. And uh, one of them kind of emerges from the darkness, like impossibly fast and graceful, with this giant power sword and this angular, spiky black armor. Uh, and he cuts down flare in a single strike and also decapitates the armsman next to him <laughs> who is attempting to run away in terror uh, yeah that's called cleave <laughs> yeah <laughs> and at this point now being fully into the light and uh and me having dropped the pretense as the game master of you not knowing who these xenos are uh the dark eldar warrior impassable high gothic commands you to surrender uh, with his plus 60 intimidate bonus <laughs> <laughs> well he's wearing like his sword is covered in your psyker right now so like. yeah and one very good armsman has lost his head yeah <laughs> and i think your uh uh sergeant chaplain tyrus had also bitten it by this point uh as 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 it was the end of the session and also his last game playing with us and only game playing with us that's right uh and you know trank uh, by this point, had calculated the rate of fire of the sh- these shuriken cannons and determined this was not going to end well. And so we surrender. And then immediately told Shane to f*** off. <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh, we were supposed to lose that. Okay. Okay. Okay, so that's that's <laughs> not true. Like, y- you weren't supposed to walk into the trap, right? True. Like, you guys screwed up, and so there had to be a trap uh, Draco, on the other side. Draco screwed up. I, fair enough. But I, I mean, the they were supposed to be harassing you on your way out of the ship, not you walking into the teeth of it, right? But the end of the session was Draco screwing up the cipher, and we'll see exactly how you, Shane, then needed to come up with an entirely new arc. Oh yeah, on the fly <laughs> next week. All right, so this week we are talking about minions, pets, and companions. So these are allies in the party that are not PCs. You know, sometimes they have names and personalities like, oh, your beloved familiar who you've been buddies with your entire life and will be with you until you die. 
Uh, other times they're just like a reanimated meat shield. You know, I animate dead and I've got a horde of zombies that follow us and carry our stuff. And other times they straight up have their own free will. You know, a GM-controlled NPC joins the party for a short time for plot reasons or whatever. But they've got a pretty bad reputation and at least some of it is deserved. So, Shane, why do so many people hate pets and and followers? Couple things. Uh, one, they hog screen time. Yeah, like the 3.5 druid was notorious for this because the way the class was written, you basically had two fully capable characters all the time. Yeah, so druids had their own form as a druid Mm -hmm. right and then they also got a animal companion right and the druid was a ninth level full spellcaster uh who could also turn into animals animals and still cast spells as an animal right and the animal companion was stronger than a fighter right yeah (laughs) so when you have two characters that you're controlling just naturally the game revolved more around you like a wizard talking to their familiar in game at the table is just one person talking to themselves yeah or um you know like the ranger and a beast companion even a fifth edition right that two opportunities to spot danger yeah uh, two passive perception bonuses those mm-hmm. kind of things i roll i give myself advantage or like hey if i have another way of gaining advantage i'll just make two rolls both with advantage yep and then there's also just the practical terms of we're still sitting at a table playing a game, right? Mm-hmm. So having mo- more characters on the PC sides means there's more decisions to make and it just slows down combat. So a single player is going on multiple initiatives, which means they're effectively getting multiple turns. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, more minis on the map. There's, you know, so more stuff to manage in terms of what's going on. Uh, the tactical situation gets more complicated because you have more of your your own abilities to consider. It's more paperwork. Yeah. It just, oh my God, everything just takes longer. Right. Your evoker hates you because they're like, oh, you're over there as well. Uh, well, can you clear the board so I can fireball? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you said more paperwork, especially in, I remember fourth edition was just like the worst for this because there were so many like temporary miniature bonuses like plus one or plus two. Yep. Uh, where you had to be like, okay, so these three skeletons have a plus one until the end of my next turn, but these two over here have a minus two until the beginning of your next turn. Yeah, but they're in the higher ground zones. So they oh, get so a plus one. Plus one that's yeah, right. but, but then they're also in the Manifest Destiny aura, so they get a minus one because it's on the enemy and we're playing Calvin Ball. How's it? Ah, yeah. And even 5th edition. Like sometimes it's like, okay, these two have advantage, this one has advantage, doesn't have this doesn't have disadvantage, this one has two advantages, but that cancels that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. Plus they all have their own HP. Yep. And they're all rolling more dice. Oh yeah. And and you know they're not gonna be the same dice that you use on your weapon attacks. <laughs> right. So you're gonna need a set of D eights for them, and you're gonna need some D mm-hmm. sixes for you, and it's just like, oh my goodness. Look, this is a ghoul and this is a ghast, so I needed a D six and I also need a D eight. Okay, no, wait, which one is the purple die and which one was the blue die? Never mind. I'll just pick them up and roll them again. That's right, this one's plus three, this one's a different provisioning bonus, so it's plus two. Yeah. Everybody hates you. It also makes the party size tougher to manage. Like think about the upkeep costs. You're all going to the inn well like the beast companion needs to eat as well Mm -hmm. 
Uh, if you've got companions or hirelings, like they need a bed. If you're sneaking around uh, to the back entrance of the Lich's castle, it's just tougher when there are nine of you. Yeah, 5th edition addresses this with the group checks, but mm-hmm. lots of games don't have a way of doing that. So the more the more people you have, the more characters that are contributing, the more chances you have to fail. And yeah. one failure is your limiting factor in, in some situations. Right. One scout needs to spot one of you. Yeah. There's also in-story reasons why large groups are tougher to manage, mm-hmm. right? Like it's impractical to have a mob of zombies traveling with you on the king's road you know like it doesn't matter if you're the necromancer and that's what your character is built around it it doesn't matter that um you know you're you're expected to have this horde with you you can't do that (laughs) you know like those zombies aren't just casually walking around they're zombies yeah and even if for some reason people are like oh no those are the good zombies you're still the party that has all the zombies. Yeah. Not like, oh, the Shining Knight uh, and like the Epic Druid. and No, you're you're the people who travel with the zombies. Yeah. Or, you know, in the Druid's case, like the the, the party that travels with the woodland creature critter horde. Right. <laughs> Always surrounded by squirrels. Yeah. However, they keep showing up in games and people keep playing them. So why do people love companions and pets? Well, I mean, for all the reasons that the party hates them, (laughs) the player enjoys them, right? Like, multiple chances to spot traps, multiple things to do in combat, more options, more tactical choices, and more screen time. Yeah. I'd like to put those zombies in front of me when we're fighting things. Yeah. (laughs) I don't need armor. I have zombies. (laughs) Um, And then I think there's also a certain appeal of having that supporting cast, right? Mm -hmm. The, the secondary characters who can sort of add color to the party, right? Um, kind of like, um, you know, like in any ensemble cast, right? There's the minor characters that sort of capture your, um, capture your heart. Yeah. Sometimes they're the best part of the show. And if you think about a party as uh, like a TV show, you know, every episode features these main five characters and their interactions. But, you know, every third episode, the quirky neighbor comes by, you know, steals the show and gives everyone a bit of a break from the same kinds of interactions or offers a different kind of perspective. Yeah, let, I mean, we can just say it. Donna was the best character on Parks and Rec. Larry was the best character on Three's Company. <laughs> oh yeah cool that show <laughs> that show that came out when i was negative four you're such a child <laughs> of course <laughs> and uh teach was of course the best character on mash yes that's not a real thing <laughs> i was just no. checking to see if you watched mash <laughs> uh, that came out when I was four. My uh, my, uh, my first roommate after college loved Mash. It was it was kind of funny, but it, like every time he'd just be like, "Fucking Alan Arkin episode tonight." <laughs> Here, it's, I'll, it's the I'll, worst. I'll, I'll one up you. Uh, Maynard G. Krebs was the best part of the many loves of Dobie Gillis. Great. I'll... Fact check me there. I'm correct. Got his own show. Okay. <laughs> and then started in Gilligan's Island. <laughs> wow. They called it the golden age of television, (laughs) but I think they were wrong. They might have been wrong. 
uh, sometimes some character archetypes that people want to play require having a pet or a minion. You can't be a summoner unless you can summon something, right? right? You can't be a necromancer unless you've got at least like one undead companion walking around following you. Yep. Um, same thing with the the hunter archetype of you know you you hunt with a with a trained animal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and mounted characters work that way too. Like, what what is a knight without his steed? Well, fortunately, you can just dismiss it into the ether, right? <laughs> but why would you do that? <laughs> why? Because it's too big for the dungeon. That's why I'm a halfling and I'm riding a dog. Fair. <laughs> All right, so we kind of break these down into two groupings: uh, minions and pets, and companions. So let's talk about minions and pets first. Because they're basically a class feature. For the most part, the player or the party controls their actions and determines their personality. Right? Like Think about the familiar. You summon a familiar and almost always in every game, it is the player who then says, okay, here's the type of familiar it is. Uh, here's their name. Here's like what they act like. And they determine their actions, but they also determine like their quirks and things typically the gm doesn't doesn't like say okay here's what your familiar does i mean except when the gm needs to use the familiar to get hooks into a player yeah right? yeah like, <laughs> like oh yeah you can definitely have a pseudo dragon familiar mr warlock but that pseudo dragon he's got schemes <laughs> i i mean which is which is great i which is not to discourage gms from doing that you know in in the right moments but yeah generally speaking you're gonna give that control to the player right just think did the player give up other mechanical options in order to get this pet and if it if so then that pet is a class feature yeah you know the Beastmaster ranger gets a beast rather than other cool stuff that the hunter ranger gets so for the most part don't usurp that like don't take it away from them and say uh oh like your animal can't go here or like your animal doesn't like you today and like goes away like (laughs) make an animal handling check to see if your animal is going to hang out with you today (laughs) your companion has mange and he's just going (laughs) to lay around a bit (laughs) did you say you fed him yesterday (laughs) well then you didn't so let's talk about how, how do we get minions and pets well in most games typically it's just by leveling up because you take your third level of ranger and you take the beastmaster archetype and like you get one sometimes it has specific mechanics attached right you take the find familiar spell you have to physically cast the find familiar spell spend the i think 10 gold pieces the the ranger companion takes eight freaking hours to like find an animal yeah and so this is um think of these secondary characters as extensions of your player character Hmm. right um and and it's possible that they don't have a personality and that they are truly interchangeable. And then that says something about your PC as well. Mm-hmm. But if there's, uh, you know, if you're going to characterize your familiar or your companion, then uh, just consider that to be part of your character. And and same thing from the GM perspective, right? Take cues off your your player, and if if that's how they want to do it, that's let them do it that way. Yeah, it's a definite opportunity to explore personal connections. Like you pick what familiar you get. Well, why did this character pick that type of familiar? Why a sprite? Like, why why an imp? Why did a character say, you know what I want to hang around with for the rest of my life? 
a devil. Yeah, a tiny <laughs> little devil that can go invisible and poison things. <laughs> Rather than, you know, a pseudo dragon or, you know, something much nicer. Yep. Just uh, keep in mind, both as the GM and the and the player with this companion, right, is that um, interaction between the companion and other players is good. Interaction between the companion and his own PC is not going to be that much fun if it's too often. You right. know, it, it can be a charming little touch, but it can also be a really annoying departure from the story. At the same time, if you are playing with a pet or like a familiar keep the interaction at the table to a minimum but it can be rewarding to write out the the sort of story or the process of like how you coaxed this familiar into your service you could you know you could explain it to your gm if you want but at the very least like have an idea in your head of what happened because if it ever comes up then you can say oh no actually you know we we like sat down and like we had a lovely cup of tea and like you know my pseudo dragon really liked how I make chamomile and we bonded over that. <laughs> That's such a lovely pseudo dragon thing. <laughs> That's totally what a pseudo dragon would do. Yeah. The, the imp, oh, we fought. Well, <laughs> so so I did this, right? Like uh, as, as part of my character backstory um, for Rasputin, the gambler um, that I played um, using our gambler build, the, he was a, a warlock bard. And so he had made a deal with a devil, uh, but his patron had provided him this devil as a reward, right? As his, as his familiar. And so I, I actually just wrote that into the backstory and like, I wrote the conflict into it, right? The familiar has to be here. He doesn't want to be here. Right. Right. You have a devil slave. Yeah. And, yeah. and Rasputin's like, look, I'm like, I'm not a bad person, right? I'm not going to like abuse you, but also like, I'm keeping you on a short leash because I'm not going to let you betray me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I'm always watching for you to do technically right. <laughs> <laughs> I know your nature. Yeah, but then <laughs> as a as a player, right? I wrote that in to be like the dynamic between our characters. I didn't write that in for the GM to then like at every glance or like at every step try and subvert what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like do it once and it's fun. Do it regularly, and now I've just weakened myself by creating a character. Yeah, so when you're role-playing these companions, remember that it's an opportunity to, like, it gives you an outlet to step outside one single character's personality. So, you know, you have Rasputin, but at the same time you have this imp, and they're at odds. Yet at the same time, this imp has this consistent personality. Right. You know, it's a a different person, quote-unquote person, that is having an interaction with your character and might even like push your character in a direction that you as a player want that character to move in eventually anyway. Yeah. And and I think that's a cool way to do it um from a role playing perspective if the GM wants to be involved, mm-hmm. especially for intelligent um companions, right? It doesn't work as well for beasts probably, but like, I mean they they give you that look about like really did yeah. you have to kill them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh but like like for an imp it's like it, it just ask the question. Right. It's like I tell I send him to go do that. And it's like, oh, he's going to go do that. But he's going to ask you if maybe instead of spying, you just want to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, why don't we just take care of the problem? It's like, no, just go watch. <laughs> Five levels later, your imp seems very happy with you. Yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> I think about, you know, there are all of these stories in fiction about like intelligent magic items, like the sword that changes the the wielder. 
right? Like by using this sword, the sword wants me to do good. The sword is, is like inspiring me with ideals and saying, no, like we need to help the weak. We shouldn't slaughter the innocent. Yeah. And you know, you do that long enough. And after a while it's like, oh, well, I mean, people like me now. Right. Uh, Which actually is a good transition because your companion need not just be uh, a living being, Mm -hmm. right? It it could be a magical item, for example, could easily play that role of a companion in the story, right? Like um, the magic carpet from Aladdin. Doesn't speak, but absolutely has a personality. Right. Or, or, you know, the magic, your family sword that is, is growing in power with you as a, as a relic, right? Like all of those things could perform that role um, without necessarily having that, you know, they're, they're a mechanical item, but they could also have that story role. Right. If you're a necromancer, even your zombies, right? You summon different types of zombies. They come from different kinds of creatures. Is this one like slow and moaning and like stalking or is it a terrifying fast zombie yeah i I like the idea that even though a zombie moves 30 feet in a round period like you could have a zombie that leaps 30 feet in Mm -hmm. a round onto its opponent which is terrifying and fast or a zombie that slowly shambles forward and ignores like all of the you know arrows that are poking into it as it approaches and then eats your brains like george washington (laughs) we're not going back (laughs) April Fool's Day is past summoners can have different interactions depending on who ends up getting summoned like in 5th edition uh, raw the GM picks what shows up when you use a conjure spell yep so I like the idea that you're like okay okay come on pixies come on pixies (laughs) Oh man, Sprite. I mean, hey, hey, Sprites, how you doing? What's up? Yeah, no, no, I wanted you for this job because I knew only you could do this job. Oh, and especially when you get into summoning like elementals or summoning <laughs> uh, water, yeah, <laughs> or any anytime you're summoning fiends, obviously, right? Yeah. The the personalities are going to be pretty pronounced. So as we mentioned before, in combat minions and pets and all these hirelings can really slow things down but there are some things that you can do as a player to really dial that back and the first thing is operate the same kinds of minions as a group right you have three zombies they all go at the same time right they take their turns at once Uh, sometimes they'll have their own initiative uh, but i really suggest that just have them go at the same time as the pc right it really helps keep other players from feeling like you are playing more than one character if like everything just happens on the same initiative yeah, and and as a player, and I mean this is advice for every player, but especially if you've got multiple characters acting, uh, know what everything's going to do on your turn before it gets to your turn. Like you got to be a little more engaged in combat because you can't make every decision on the fly and not know what's going on. If you're asking, "What is this mini doing?" or "What is this little symbol on the map?" or "Who is that again?" on every time you have to act, mm-hmm. it's going to get exhausting for the GM and the other players. Yeah, uh, you don't get to play the summoner. Yeah, you know, like, if you're not paying attention. So guess what? You're going to get power killed. <laughs> <laughs> Advice both for the player and for the GM. I think like if it comes around to the summoner's turn and they don't know what all their pets are doing, like if it takes more than like 10 seconds, they just do what they were doing last yeah. round. Yep. And uh, where you can consolidate your rolls, like mm-hmm. just roll the dice at once. Um, like in some ways you can almost treat it like a 
like a miniatures war game, right? Where you roll like a whole squad of troops at once and just pick out the targets kind of as they happen. Yeah, get different colored dice. Yeah. You know, roll these d20s. Don't be that asshole who sits there rolling one d20 five times in a row. Like it's it's bad enough when there's one person who has like three to five attacks and they're doing that, but like it just feels worse when you're also moving different pieces on the board. Yeah, and then I also uh, I look for like the the middle range number to see if it'll hit mm-hmm. right, and I try and figure out what that is. And and I know some GMs don't want to tell the AC, um, and, and that's fine. But like I know if I hit on a twelve, for example, that I can ignore eleven and below. Right or or if I hit on a fourteen, I'll check if a twelve hits as well. Right. right, but I won't ask about a fifteen, and I won't ask about a nine. <laughs> right, the other two hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and as a GM, you kind of have to trust your player a little bit too. If you're playing on a battle map, uh, find your minis early. Don't be like, okay, I summon. Hold on, wait, I need to find eight Fey. Yep. Uh, just get them ahead of time. Anything that you think you might summon grab those minis before you're even playing and ideally stick to the same ones so that other players don't get confused every time like okay which one is the elemental this time no like buy those little fire things like you go out buy those little like fire minis and keep them those are your elementals yeah or uh color coded d6s are good as well yeah uh because they're numbered um which helps and then they're also if you've got colors there it's easy to tell that they're different types Though, obviously, that's going to make your battlefield a little less cinematic. (laughs) The the, the Instagram photos won't be quite as good. You can shop them later. Uh, And then another thing is know when your pets are a distraction from achieving your goals in combat uh, and and sucking up more resources than they're adding value to the fight and just have them retreat. Yeah, like it's less of an option when you're using a summon creature. Like it dies, it disappears. But if your beast for some reason like is just not able to like really do any damage like say it's fighting something that's immune to damage from non-magical weapons yeah for example sorry beastmaster uh get it out of there because all it's going to do is like take damage and then the healer has to use their resources to heal that rather than a player yeah and and then as a gm the the corollary of that is if the player is willingly removing like that creature from the fight just hand wave the targeting of them right like Mm -hmm. like my familiar is in my bag like yes technically it could be hit by the fireball in my bag but also i'm not using it for this fight so let's not worry about it let's just move on yeah i think there's usually a mechanic where it's like oh you can dismiss your familiar or your steed or whatever but it's a lot more interesting in game to like have it be a witness to what is happening right right now Companions don't just play a role in combat. They're also very useful in the exploration pillar. But if you are walking around with a giant entourage, make sure that you share that wealth with the rest of your party. So if you have a beast who can help a different PC who's on watch, who has a better perception than you, like go to sleep and let your beast aid them rather than you. Yeah. Uh, assign some zombies to go like hang out with uh, other wizards you know just so stand around them yeah 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 I mean the elf is already doing that with his trance right (laughs) yeah so like you know be a team player yeah uh, we talk about alternative combat objectives if the rogue is off to the side and not sneak attacking and is instead making like checks to disable the trap that has us all in this room 
send over some summons. Yeah. And they just kind of stand there and like keep the rogue from getting stabbed in the back. <laughs> right. Um, and then keep in mind that your pets are probably less important than the PCs. You know, I think for certain characters, like the attachment to the pet is, is defining for that character, right? You wouldn't simply replace them. But um, in most cases, like especially for like a summoner, mm-hmm. like you got to just you can mourn afterwards, but you can't try and keep your pets alive if it's going to cost your your other players their characters. Yeah, like no whining like, oh, I can only make two zombies a day. It, I don't care. Send them across the minefield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have a tool. Right. Use it. <laughs> and then sometimes they die. Now, if summon creature dies, fine. It, it goes away. But think about the the fiction in game right like in your world when a summon creature dies does it die die or does it return to the plane from where you pulled it Mm -hmm. how do familiars feel about dying right does Mm -hmm. it hurt them to be like reincarnated and resummoned or uh same thing especially for like fey or demons yeah like (laughs) i i love the idea that you summon them and uh got them killed or hurt and then at the end of the spell, they bear a grudge. <laughs> right. And next time, oh, you again. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> again, as long as you're summoning them, that's fine. But, you know, plot point later on in the campaign. Yeah. Like, oh, you've summoned me 16 times. <laughs> the butcher's bill is due, yeah. sir. Guess what? You get a free summon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to eat your soul now. <laughs> And, of course, for those companions that can't be replaced or that can be replaced as a class feature, right? Like yeah. the beast, the ranger's beast doesn't get resurrected. You can go find another beast. Sure. Uh, what kind of mourning takes place? Or does any mourning take place? I mean, either way, it tells you something about the character, mm-hmm. right? And and about that connection. So uh, make that consistent with the import that you've placed on the companion. Right. So now we also need to talk about companions as separate from minions and pets. And the main difference is that they're not directly controlled by the players. So they'll join the party for story reasons. Uh, I will say that, like, according to our classification, they're distinct from GMPCs, uh, which are basically like mem- full-fledged members of the party that the GM controls. Mm-hmm. I think that probably warrants an entire like its own episode uh, and taxonomy like, <laughs> and like what not to do because there's a ton of pitfalls there yeah but like a companion usually takes a back seat in the story and is there but takes direction or instruction from the party members i think one of the classic tropes for these companions is the npc healer yeah right like the party of three rolled up with no cleric and so you hire on a cleric as your fourth party member. And he's just there to provide the heals and is basically at the direction of the party. Well, man, also there to provide the snarky commentary. Well, I mean, again, that's the GM's treasure, (laughs) not, not the parties. (laughs) So yeah, they're especially useful to fill in gaps in the party compliment. Uh, In addition to a healer, you could just have a companion who's the tank, right? The big dumb barbarian, or the trap finder, though, mm-hmm. you know, not even a full-fledged rogue, right? Right. Um, 
or the pilot is another popular one. Yeah, outside right. Of Stay on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with the ship. Keep it ready to go. That's right. We're probably going to be sh- shot at as we board. So right. <laughs> get the ship over here fast. Yeah, exactly. You can also provide companions to your party as like a guide to a new area. The like NPC scout or tracker or wilderness guide is a common trope because it often happens a lot. You know, we don't know how to get across the desert. Well, why don't we just hire someone? They can also be part of a quest or, or story point, right? So um, you, know, you need to protect the prince or you need to um, escort the diplomat uh, to her um, meeting. Yeah, I think these are a lot of fun because the NPCs typically like not capable of taking care of themselves. Right. So it's actually kind of a burden. They're not helping the party. They're hindering it. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Almost certainly not going to be better than the party at this. <laughs> uh, and then you can also have um, a character that is pr- providing some sort of like uh, scholastic expertise, like a lore master. This works uh, again, like a new uh, environment or like a new culture, sort of like the advisor that is assigned to you. Like the translator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm your fixer. Please I, keep me alive. Yeah, and then I think there's always um, NPCs that come along in the story that the players grow attached to, mm-hmm. um, and and they don't want that character to leave, so they kind of turn them into a companion, right? Right, and that's as simple as like, hey, you want to come with us? Right, and, and so they're there, but they're not there (laughs) you know what i mean yeah like like they're they're not you're not inviting that npc to become a player character you're just inviting them to stick around a little longer um and and this is a recurring theme of the dynasty unwarranted campaign um for sure Uh, you guys never meet an npc that you don't press into service on the ship (laughs) um but i i think even extends further than that like um uh draco the arch militant carefully tracks uh not each armsman but each of his captains of the mm-hmm. armsmen uh and then once you get a name you become important to him um and, and so like they're all there right they all have specialties they have names they have uh, troops under their command right that he can he can go to and point to but they're also not there unless he specifically calls upon them right they're they're on the ship somewhere but until he says yes i'm grabbing uh, Captain Severin's men, then they're not there. Right. They disappear into the same space that the weapon you're not currently wielding disappears to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or those bedrolls that everyone is always carrying around. Yeah. But like, just look terrible when someone is drawing the party. Yeah. I, and I mean, this tradition goes back to original D&D, right? The idea of the hireling. Mm-hmm. Um, Watch the horses. Right. Or uh, what fighter got uh, followers, followers, right? Yeah. Which were lower level adventurers who did work uh, for the party, but sort of either off camera entirely or out of focus in the edges. Right. You can also have PCs who have abilities that make them really persuasive, and you might have someone who says, "Actually, I want to like raise a mob," or. I want to convince some people to come along with us. And I'm really good at diplomacy and I rolled really well. Well, okay, they might have some people who tag along. Yeah, flash NPCs. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You don't get to control them because it's not really a class feature. Right. (laughs) 
but a, they're there. It's a story element, right? Dressed up as a person. So when you're walking around or adventuring with these companions, you're going to have similar kinds of interactions that you do with like a a pet or a minion that is aware and intelligent, right? Like a familiar or an imp familiar or something like that. Uh, but they'll almost always be humanoid, right? Like people who could ostensibly have been a PC. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have these kind of like getting to know you scenes in the story. I think we talked about in uh, the travel episode. I think it was like episode six uh, where you're on a journey somewhere and you make camp and then you can have these uh, vignettes where people are sitting around the campfire telling stories. And the same kind of thing is really useful when you're introducing a new companion who like the PCs have now like sort of determined that they're all going to trust this person with their lives, at least some of the time, you know, certainly they'll be watching their backs, but they're hanging out with them. They're making camp with them. You want the, you want there to be a reason for that. Like, why is it that the uh, PCs find this person interesting enough or like give them a reason to find this person interesting? Mm hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean talking it out, right? It could be, you may have no shared language. I think 13th Warrior, right? Like they hand wave that eventually, but like at first it's just sort of like pantomiming or Chewbacca, right? Lots of people don't speak Shriwook. I mean, I do fluently, yeah. but yeah, I, I could tell. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and when you're characterizing them from a role-playing perspective, right? Not, not just a reason to be there or a motivation, but also give them a personality, that is uh, easy for you to hit quickly, right? Because you don't want to have to, like, as a GM, you don't want to have to get into character to portray this NPC companion, right? So um, if they're snarky or they're disgruntled or they're um, overly servile, right? Like, all Mm -hmm. of these things, like, kind of on the extreme ends of the spectrum make it very easy to quickly adopt that mannerism and, and get into character, um, in a way that's memorable as well. Yeah, one to two personality points. That's all they need. Yeah. Now, distinct from minions and pets that are class features, a GM-controlled companion does offer quite a few opportunities for subterfuge because you're not a mean GM if the NPC betrays the party. Right. If your familiar stabs you in the back, there better be a really great plot reason. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it can also be fun to play like a not quite human fish out of water scenario where like the companion themselves doesn't understand what's going on and the PCs need to teach them really normal things. Like I think about in Volo's guide, they say tritons when they go to the surface, they like sort of walk around and like take notes. Yeah. About like how strange this world is. And... Like you can write and it stays in place. <laughs> the ink on the strange lead, it works. It costs 10,000 gold pieces to develop this technology. <laughs> it can write in space, whatever that is. <laughs> but it gives uh, the party an opportunity to sort of like step outside themselves and explain normal things. Like, oh, well, here's why feudalism is a good system of government. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because you kind of did this with Cube. Mm-hmm. Um Though at times the party were more the fish out of water and Cube was the guide. Right. Always back and forth. Both of you had like the party and Cube had different perspectives on the same world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, later on in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, you got 
you guys got a similar kind of cube figure uh, who's very much that fish out of water. Yeah. Like, like literally had no memory of what it was. What is speaking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you use the mouth? No spoilers. <laughs> In combat, companions should really take a back seat unless they're specifically there for a combat role. So unlike a summon where you're like, go to the front, take care of things. Uh, the companion should basically be like hiding in the back. Yeah, they should be cowering. And if, if they're even on the map, it's because they're uh, a target, <laughs> you know? Like, right, or you done f***ed up. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you generally want to rely on monster stat blocks for your NPCs mm-hmm. because they're much simpler to run uh, as a GM. Um, and if you can't do that for some reason, then you want to just rely on basic attacks, right? Anything like attack with a sword or use a cantrip rather than getting into complicated spells and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and even like think about the type of cantrip. Like Firebolt is way easier than Eldritch Blast. Yeah, uh, and actually a lot of times when, when you guys do that stuff, I just roll the damage dice. Yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. I just like adjust the damage. You know, it's like 55% chance to hit. Cool, so instead of rolling 2d6, I'll roll 1d6. Right. Done. Anything that makes less paperwork for you as a GM. If they are combat effective, like if they did bring on like the bruiser because it's a party of mages for whatever reason, then typically let the party suggest the course of action, right? Like, hey, Girk, you know, that door, go get them. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can you could just do that thing where he looks to you for guidance. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, what do I do? It's like, go. <laughs> okay. And if for some reason you've got uh, an NPC that's higher level than the party, you're going to want to hobble them in some way. Like they're not capable of handling this on their own for whatever reason. Maybe it's bureaucracy. Maybe they need to maintain neutrality. Maybe they're injured. Uh, or just unwilling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Aloof and like, no, you take care of it. Yeah, like I, I mean, I got a teleport spell. I can get out of here. Right. But like I... <laughs> and I might. Yeah. I still might. Like... <laughs> Uh, but that might happen after like an initial display of power, and perhaps that's when like you first introduce them. Yep. You know, like uh, the you could have the party come upon like one person fending off like nine people, yep. right? And like they win, but are grievously injured, right? And so now the party is like trying to get them to civilization so that they can like get patched up. They're obviously way stronger than you, but right now not really capable of handling things, right? So in the exploration tier, I think uh, for the broad majority of companions, you don't really want them to be involved. Um, you, you just kind of let them follow along the party. Uh, the exception, of course, would be if you've hired a guide to get you across this desert. <laughs> well, then you're probably not making checks, right? Like that. The, the point of the guide was to do this task. Right. Or the guide is giving like the party advantage on survival checks. Right, yeah. right. Like you still need to endure this awful trek, but like you're not going to die outright because I'm with you. Right. Yeah, it establishes a higher floor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't people always do this? Uh, no guide. <laughs> and speaking of death and the floor, how how do you want to treat companions dying, Ishan? Well, so as a GM, I would say that like companions, pets, minions, all these types of things, like you don't need to hold back. Because, like, even if it is a game where you don't really want to kill PCs, 
killing a, a companion or an NPC, if it, like it is warranted by the dice or the story, uh, can really add a lot of drama and consequence, especially if you've been successful at making the party care about the companion. It also, I guess, lets you get your like player killing rocks off for a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always nice if it can be a uh, like undeniably the player's fault. Like it, we had this problem in Dark Sun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to be escorting somebody and we just forgot that she wasn't going to survive defiling. <laughs> yeah, or her baby. Or, or my character for that matter. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean that was like the double whammy. It was like, "Oh no, Watcher's dead." It was like, "Oh, we failed." <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's like if Watcher's dead, oh, they're desiccated husks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was, we did not think that through. No. And uh, it has had an impact on the rest of the characters that did survive. Because now, like, when we're with someone, we go all out to make sure that they're safe. Like our insane cleric friend. Which I guess we'll get to at some point. Yeah. We'll talk about later. Someday. Yeah. So... Using companions is certainly more complicated, but I think it offers a lot of opportunities that you don't get from just having a normal four-man party. Yeah, I think, you know, in some ways, um, you're, you're going to have the, the pets and those sort of things are part of the game as a mechanical thing. But I think companions are the opportunity for the GM to sort of flex their muscle a little bit as a role player. Um, and and develop characters um, over long periods, right? It, that they're going to follow along with the party. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the hallmark of of great GMing, right? Is getting the players invested in the NPCs around them, and and those companions are sort of the first place to start, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and kind of that transition from NPC to companion right is sort of elevating certain characters that you've created into um, greater importance for the players themselves not just for their characters yeah maybe eventually you move from and partners to top building on the door yeah (laughs) all right do you hear that Ishan? that's me scratching my name into the door i mean something well then we're gonna have to roll up a replacement for you (laughs) we are hiring from the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the one-man band. Ishan, what is a one-man band? Uh, it's what I wanted to be after I saw Dick Van Dyke uh, in Mary Poppins. Oh, okay. You can make music all alone. Yeah, it's very Trent Reznor. You don't need friends. Like Trent Reznor? Yeah, or any guy with a Moog board. I guess. <laughs> So the point of this build is to have as many permanent companions as possible. Because, you know, you don't need a party. Right. The one-man adventuring party. There you go. 
So what's the build? It is Lore Bard 14, Chain Warlock 3, Beastmaster Ranger 3. So obviously, Ranger 3 gets you a beast. It's not a very good beast. Uh, but, you know, it's your best friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it will scale with character level, except for its hit points. Yeah, so it's it'll have 12 <laughs> or, or or whatever it comes with naturally. A glass beast, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> So really, the best use for it is as a scout at higher levels. However, remember that you can kit it with the best gear that you can afford. Barding. Eagle armor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it um, the amulet of health, so it has 19 con. Good start. Yeah, yep. get that HP up a little bit. Um, that Maybe that hood that makes things invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Just <Kid>. disappear. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about the warlock? Well, you get that upgraded familiar from Pact of the Chain. So obviously you're going to take an imp, right? Uh, I thought it was obviously a pseudo dragon. Oh, what's right. the third one? Is it sprite? Sprite? No, sprite Quasit. sucks. Quasit. Oh, you can also get one of those too. Yeah. Those are they're too chaotic for me. Stupid elementals. Man, yeah. Uh, I like the pseudo dragon. Oh well, so either way, you get some poison. Yep. And something that turns invisible. <laughs> and some right? Invisibility. Yeah. <laughs> Again, great as a scout. But you get two invocations. Uh, I think Voice of the Chainmaster is great, which means that you can speak through your familiar. Mm -hmm. I don't even need to be there. Uh, Beast Speech is a good option, too, which we'll see later. But, you know, you can pretty much take whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. You have your familiar. So then we've got Lore Bard. Oh, so much Bard. You get some Warlordy type abilities from Bard, which is nice because you've got a big party with you Mm -hmm. who are all yours. Four Expertises. Uh, and you're really good at skills because you're going to get all the way to peerless skill. So you're never going to really roll low on any skill check you make. Yep. But the big deal is that you get a bunch of spells from other classes from Magical Secrets. Which is the uh, lore bard's kind of hallmark is stealing a couple spells at a time. That's right. So you make these bard spells and you pick them from any list. At level six, you want to take Find Steed. And animate dead. Of course you do. Yeah. At level 10, uh, it's your choice of the conjure spells. I like conjure animals because it gets the most number. Like you can get eight one-quarter CR creatures. Yeah, you want those elk, man. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, level 4 conjure woodland beings or conjure minor elementals is also nice. You don't get quite as many. They don't scale quite as well. But they have some really cool abilities like woodland beings you can get. Creatures that have spells per day. Mm Mm-hmm. And elementals, like if you get fire elementals, obviously, like that'll you can light things on fire or they have immunities, things like that. I I think woodland beings probably fits the theme of this a little bit better because, Mm -hmm. in a way, isn't it really all about casting more spells? Because at level 14, you're going to get simulacrum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at 14 with magical secrets, you definitely want simulacrum, and then you also want finger of death because remember. If you kill a humanoid with Finger of Death, it rises as a zombie under your permanent control. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You don't need to reassert control like you do with Animate Dead. It's just yours. So oh. once once per day, you are getting I mean you're getting a new zombie. Right, right. Because you're gonna you're gonna kill something once a day. You're you're gonna do that. Well, yeah, obviously. You should do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's called harvesting. It's, it's your simulacrum. <laughs> right. I'm making friends. Uh yeah, and Simulacrum, of course, gives you a duplicate of your target made out of ice, I believe. Oh yeah, ice and snow. Yeah. So uh you can you know use that on a party member to get uh doubling down on their abilities or use it on yourself to get <laughs> double the number of companions. Right. So 
pets. We're going to have your upgraded familiar mm-hmm. and your beast companion. We've already established mm-hmm. that. You're going to get the simulacrum plus whatever else the simulacrum can get that you already have. Right. So it should be able to call a familiar. Yes. And uh, it should be able to get a beast companion. It should. It just it can't recharge its abilities. Right. So once it's used, it's used. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so once it can do those things. Um, you'll also have Awakened Companions. Oh, right. We didn't get into this. The Bard gets the Awaken spell, which is fifth level, and you take an animal or a plant or something. And elevate it to intelligence. That's right. Uh, it, it is now self-aware. It's charmed for 30 days, so treat it really nicely. And then afterwards, it's free-willed, so it doesn't have to come with you, but I recommend expertise in persuasion and animal handling. I would create like a farm. Of just like uh-huh. just a, an idyllic paradise for mm-hmm. whatever it is that I awaken, I would drop those creatures off there for thirty days and then come back afterwards and be like, "Hey guys, you want to come hang out with me?" You know what I would do? I would have my simulacrum hang out with them for thirty days. Smart. Hey, I'm you know Alistair Four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll meet Alistair One like in I don't know a month or so. He's gonna swing on by, but like we're the same person. I I just have four hit points. You can tell me anything, right? We're friends, uh, so if you want to hang out and like travel around, that would be awesome. <laughs> so however many Awakening Companions your GM lets you convince to hang out with you, that's how many you have. Then you also have Animated Dead and your permanent zombies through Finger of Death. So mm-hmm. you, you've got some solid Necromancer flavor as well. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, on the fly, you can conjure allies. Right. So everything is permanent except for those conjured allies, which right. last up to an hour. Uh, and if it sounds like you're setting up franchises with your simulacra, you, you kind of are. Yeah, it's really what it's for. All right, so uh, tell me about your one-man band, Ishan. Uh Like I said, they just want friends. Uh, friends with which to perform a great symphony. Because my bard's goal is to get all of the uh, bardic instruments sounds like you've got a lot of percussionists ready (laughs) (laughs) and then gather all of these companions together to play a symphony at the same time with all of the instruments at the same time oh okay all right yeah i'm thinking it's sort of like uh peter and the wolf like okay i need to i need to find i awaken a a goose to play the oboe (laughs) okay i of course will play the violin Uh, I think my one man band is a uh, is an only child. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, who just wants some friends? You know, it's not about being a bard. It's just about being liked. You know. So, uh, yeah, picked on in school. Uh, you know, went to an adventure in school. Was kind of not respected by the rest of his Always class. Always got picked last for the party. Yeah. yeah. I, if if picked at all, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, so it had a lot of time to kind of refine his craft and and developed a bunch of different ways to to find friends he's basically living in a child's tea party like a like a (laughs) dollhouse tea party uh his whole life yeah that's that's his life now i bet he started as a 3.5 bard which is why nobody wanted to hang out with him definitely that yeah yeah that's me All right. If you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes and if you're willing to do that we will read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So 
What do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series on player personality types, and we're talking about the storyteller. And in the character creation forge, we are building the Bardic College. Well, that's it for episode 88 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.